We're losing social skills, the human interaction skills, how to read a person's mood, to read their body language, how to be patient until the moment is right to make or press a point. Too much exclusive use of electronic information dehumanizes what is a very, very important part of community life and living together. This quote comes from Vincent Nichols. I'm Raleigh. And I'm Danielle. And this is Unstuck, the special ed podcast. Some uplifting music today. (laughs) It's happy, upbeat, relaxing music. Well, that's exactly how I felt (laughs) when you played it for 10 seconds or three. Five. It's probably probably closer to three. Mm-hmm. You know what? Maybe it'll help me um, because the we had a windshield wiper incident this morning <laughs> today. <laughs> so you need help getting unstuck. Yeah. I see. Uh, can you help me get unstuck from this? Let's change the subject. <laughs> I just want to let the world know, whoever, all four four hundred people get, that you know, listen, maybe. Uh, well, it's technically the world. I guess, yeah. We're, we're worldwide, <laughs> we're worldwide that I do know how to change windshield wipers, okay. even though I didn't prove myself right. today. Okay. okay. That's all I'm saying. Fair enough. So how are you? I'm great. We're one week out from February vacation and Ooh, I couldn't be happier. days, but me? Five. Five more days. Five more days. Five more. So today we're talking about social skills, mm-hmm. social pragmatics. We do not have a speech and language pathologist here. That probably would be ideal, but we're, we got this. Yeah. And, and no offense to our wonderful speech and language friends, of, of which we have several. Um, you know, sometimes we just come up with these ideas on the fly. I will say that I really liked that quote because um, that we introed with because I think that aspect of the technological piece is so so huge right now um and people just being especially the students that i at least see very very focused on tech um and a lot of our teaching comes from technology which is fine and i accept that as as we've evolved over the past 15 20 years that that's just part of the curriculum you need to integrate that piece into it but sometimes i think we lose some of that um more face-to-face and more interpersonal piece and especially for students that have neurodivergent brains it's very challenging to not be getting explicit teaching for this area but i also think for kids that maybe more are more neurotypical not having the having so much screen time and less time to be thinking about how to resolve conflict how to manage emotions how to deal with anxiety and manage impulses that you don't need to always think about when you're playing a, a game or you're interacting you know, with with a a screen rather than right. humans. Even if you're chatting, it's still a different mm-hmm. it's still a different world well, than right. interacting and face to face with people and reading all this the subtle cues and the nonverbal cues that are so nuanced and such a part of social communication that we just learn. Mo, you know, those of us that develop our brains in that way are learning this. You know, through the environment, through our interactions. And we're building on kind of that social competency the more and more that we engage with other people. But when you're shutting some of that off, you're not getting that same level of feedback to then be able to, you know, progress forward and and have real solid like social IQ and social competency. It's funny that we're talking about it, too, because this week I've had I've run into a number of situations where we've had robust discussions mm-hmm. of um, whose responsibility it is to explicitly teach social skills and is it the counseling is it the speech and language do they need speech and language services or do they just need a lunch group um, 
and I was breaking it down because people were like, well, if it's social pragmatics, then it should be the speech mm. and language. If it's social skills, then it should be the counselor. And I'm thinking to myself, it's the same thing. Yeah. And everyone should be teaching in the well, moment. Well, we should be working on it general, generally and not just in isolate. I mean, obviously we always talk about, you know, delivering services as needed in whatever environment that they're best received in for students to make the most progress. But you want to be able to generalize. And I think, you know, this is one of those things where I, it's, you know, working in special ed for so long, you think it's really more of a special ed based issue, but it's really not. And I think especially over the past few years, it's become so paramount to be addressing it um, and to be looking at all aspects. And it can come from, you know, obviously if you have somebody like a speech and language pathologist on your team, like you're blessed to have that person's insight into social pragmatics, which is huge. I think I'll also shout out to my OT friends out there. Like we're definitely um, able to also, you know, have those groups and talk about different things. I mean, you know, with, with OT, you can also have things that fit in with the social skills, like developing leisure skills and understanding kind of how to manage your time. And those things are pieces of the social aspect as well, because think about, you know, if you're planning to have some kind of, um, extracurricular event with somebody else, you're planning kind of a, a, a play date or you're doing mm-hmm. something that a shared hobby you want to be able to make that effectively happen and maybe figuring out what things you share in common, how you're going to plan that and implement that. That's a social social skill in and of itself. Well, we, um, I've been talking in these conversations, I've been talking to a lot of people about how this is missed during the elementary level. So if mm-hmm. you don't have the built in support or tier one interventions where you're doing a weekly social skills group to help build some of those skills, um, a lot of times kids are missing out, but because elementary is so great about integrating strategies for students naturally within the environment and the setting, you often, what we're finding is that we're not seeing, catching these social deficits Mm -hmm. until middle school. And by then, kids don't want to be in lunch bunches or like they don't want to be, like it's just such a different. looking different. And so we've been having a lot of discussions about how do we help identify these students earlier in the, in elementary so that way we're building these skills earlier on so by the time they get to middle school they don't necessarily need as much intensive support and i think too like i think it goes hand in hand like i'm reading this list that i found online that has you know just a list these certainly aren't all of the social skills but like it's it goes from something like taking turns to you know, sharing ideas to celebrating successes to waiting patiently. So much of that is developed by more structured activities in a group setting in a school. So like, again, if you're, you know, if kids are mostly doing independent, um, learning or they're learning with technology, they're maybe not doing as many group projects or they're doing things, even when you're starting at five and six years old of group playing. And I'm sure that a lot of places and a lot of schools are doing that. But I think all of some of these things make me think of like how many of my students struggle with all of these things, like taking turns, Mm -hmm. like something you learn as a very, very small child. Um, And just being able to, like we thought we say, keeping our bubble thoughts from popping, shout out to social thinking, Um, you know, not saying something that's inflammatory to somebody else or insulting to them, active listening, resolving conflict. So much of that gets developed by 
your experiences with other kids and having more, again, group activity, group learning, you're really thinking about everybody involved. And it's not just like I'm learning with my Chromebook or my tablet and that's really individualized. And maybe there's some sharing of ideas. Oh, I shared this document with you that you're also participating. Mm -hmm. You know, we're doing this learning together, but we're like online doing it together. Or like if programs that have cut recess Mm -hmm. or have cut other, um, specials quote-unquote activities like that's going to also affect how kids are developing social skills because they're not getting that representation of of what it's like to be in these group settings that are less maybe a little less structured just in the sense that it's not academic based and learning how to use these skills and, and kind of hone them well and that's what's really hard for me i um, encounter a lot like if a student is found eligible for an iep immediately the first go-to on their schedule is removing some sort of special Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. you don't want to take away the core academics which i understand i i can i can understand the importance of math writing reading science social studies all that i get it i know that there are state standardized testing that kids have to you know Mm -hmm. adhere to i just i struggle with it because if you're a student is identified as having social skills or emotional deficits the best place to have have them generalize those skills or in the electives or less yeah. structured settings. Isn't it interesting? And so if you have these students and I think about like our kids who are really bright mm-hmm. and have some of that rigidity, mm-hmm. you know, your aut- your autistic kids yeah. who can understand anything that you present to them. And a lot of my emotional kids right now are very, very bright. And it's like, so why are, why aren't we pulling them from social studies? Well, it's, it's funny because, um, I think back for so many years, um, you know, for service delivery, it was always like, well, don't take them out of math and don't take them out of reading and don't take them out of writing and don't take them out of science. And don't. So what's left, you know, and it's like not every kid could be seen before school, after school or at, you know, and what, and you're not going to take them out of recess. I mean, it's, I think for any sort of pull out service delivery, any, any domain, any discipline, it's a, it's a very thoughtful process that needs to happen in terms of what you're taking them from. But it is, it's almost like it's flipped to where like, well, if the math could get done, like if it's 20, 30 minutes of math that they're missing once a week, could that be something they easily make up versus they're missing the social skills group? They're missing, um, you know, some kind of art class mm-hmm. or health class or any other special uh, PE that is going to help them with all of these other areas. You could almost, you can make the case, I don't have a graph in front of me, but I wonder if like the shift of, again, I talk about the competency social skills competency has waned as some of these academics have become the forefront and technology has been infused into everything. So are we almost now skewed the wrong way? And now it's like, well, we don't want them missing these other things. And also if they're limited in a week, if, if schools are cutting this programming, whittling it down to like a very few things, you don't want them missing those few things either. It just becomes really challenging to kind of navigate all of that. Right. And, and a lot of times, um, especially at the middle school and higher level, the secondary level, they aren't doing as much uh, group activities within mm-hmm. that classroom setting. You know, in elementary school, you have the turn and talk or, you know, you switch papers and like edit mm-hmm. each other's like there's group, more group work, more interactivity that is naturally embedded when you get to middle school. And I'm not saying every middle school, I think in my, in many of my experiences, it's, you know, the teacher directs and the teacher teaches Mm -hmm. and the kids take notes. And sometimes they have independent work that they do where they write papers. It's not really. And if they do project-based learning, it's really individualized. Like you're going to create this PowerPoint, right? You know, or you're sharing it with someone, but they're on the other computer in another place. Like they're not with you 
collaborating in that way, which we yeah. weren't, you know, years and years and years ago, that, that wasn't a thing. You had to be in person. Well, I think if it were less of a, if there were more project group-based activities within those classroom settings, I'd be, I'd feel less uncomfortable pulling from an elective, an mm. art class or a gym class where you have to, it's like forced, um, social skills, problem solving in those well, areas. I would also make the case, and I've noticed this with students that I've worked with recently and currently, that this sort of goes hand in hand where the way that it's, you know, people will sort of call it the Montessori model, but the way that kids, some brains learn better is through that project-based learning. And if you have a kid who is on the spectrum, who struggles with the rules and regulations that are put upon them by a classroom setting, like they have a different way of thinking and seeing the world, they're trying to adhere to a schedule, which there's some aspect of that that's valid and they need to kind of learn sometimes how to listen and follow someone else's direction. But wouldn't it be a nice balance to say, well, let's make some of this more project-based for kids whose brains work a little differently, where they're working on the core academic skill, but they're applying it differently and they have to manage another peer or two as well. So you're getting that social skills piece, but you're also getting them more invested in how to you know, achieve that academic goal without it being so formulaic, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Well, yeah, it does. And in the post-COVID world, as we always talk about, mm-hmm. I, I see a lot, um, especially in the middle school now setting, the um, students calling out, trying to be mm-hmm. funny, mm-hmm. getting gaining attention that way. And teachers, you know, often are like, you know, obviously, as they should be annoyed with it. And the students getting, we've ta- I've talked a lot this week specifically about negative feedback that kids are getting. Mm-hmm. And so it's working because they're well, getting I, sent I out like of class. Any attention's good attention. Yes. And so when the negative attention outweighs the positive attention, these kids are doing it all the time mm-hmm. and they get each other going. And, and that's all, you know, needs to be explicitly taught to students. But how do you do that? Well, and instead of outplacing kids, because, I mean, we've gotten a few lately where I'm thinking, how is how is this so problematic? But it's problematic because of exactly what you're saying. Kids are saying provocative, inflammatory things to get the attention because they're not sure how to do it another way. And now it's become so disruptive that they need another, like something more severe has to happen, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny that you say that. I have had to really shift people's thinking into not automatically thinking about sending a kid out Mm -hmm. because of x y and z and a lot of times it's really revolved around the lack of explicit teaching and social skills or emotional regulation and and by that i'm using air quotes that these kids are not behavioral and so i put Mm -hmm. into perspective for people you're talking about removing this kid from an environment to put in an environment with kids who are likely more mm-hmm. aggressive, right. more less more regulated. severe, less yeah. regulated, and there's no there's no peer model for mm-hmm. these students. And so when what happened recently was a student who has emotional regulation challenges used a strategy has has been explained it once. Like if you get mad, get up, take a walk, take five minutes, come mm-hmm. back. And so he did, he got up, he left the class, came back in 20 minutes instead of five. And now this kid isn't a class skip or anything like that. He really wasn't regulated. Mm-hmm. So he took more time than, he he, need, right. he took the time he needed basically, but, but it was more than five minutes. Expected, yeah. And so he came back and clearly he left because he was dysregulated. He took the break, he came back. It was 
evident, I my understanding is it was evident that he still wasn't necessarily ready, but he was back. And the teacher said that was more than five minutes. And so he didn't have the social capacity to explain himself. So he said instead, I need you to stop talking or something like that. Yeah. But in a loud tone, yelled at the teacher. The teacher then feared for their safety. Mm-hmm. And so they automatically started talking about, well, does he belong here? Does he belong in this school? And it's like, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> He's a kid that wasn't, no one was ready. He wasn't ready to hear anything. Mm-hmm. And if you had waited until the next day, maybe to have that conversation about when it's going to be more than five minutes, what's the plan? But instead in that moment, you knew he's upset and you basically triggered him. Right. And But it's again, it's that lack of understanding, that lack of knowledge. And how do we teach that to um, people who aren't used to working with in these populations? Well, and, and I think, and not that anyone's doing this intentionally, but you're also adding in a, a little bit of shame there, or it's presumably, like it's, it's not a teaching moment, it's just a disciplinary moment. Mm-hmm. And I think for kids that have, you know, maybe some difficulty expressing their feelings, they have difficulty reading the full picture they're seeing the details they're not seeing the full picture of the situation maybe this kid thought hey i did the right thing Mm -hmm. they told me not to be back in the fight you know who knows what else was said but maybe it was don't come back if you're not ready to be back or whatever you know we have to think about how we're explaining ourselves how we're involving the students depending on their level what you know what their capacity is for it in the process of coming up with ideas but you know i think more and more it's i mean i'm seeing it where i am that we are getting a lot more referrals for kids for shorter term placements to kind of figure out what to do and then ship them back to where they came from. And that's all well and good, but are they going back to a place that's ready to accept them back with understanding now of like what has changed? We know what we can do, but can you do the same? And if people aren't getting trained in, again, we've talked a lot in this pod, the history of this podcast about understanding and recognizing changes in students or or what behavior looks like for different kids having some in like basically being in tune but also understanding generally speaking the social skills aspect and maybe getting people trained in i'm not saying everybody has to take intensive courses in social thinking but realizing that there's such so much explicit teaching that has to happen for for certain kids that we shouldn't assume that kids are doing things defiantly Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to have that nuance. And again, I get it. I could just hear like, there's so much teachers are doing, they take on so much. They're doing two and three people's roles. Absolutely true. We do have to get to a place though, where they, that we can give educators the, the education that they need to really work on some of these less obvious areas. Like they're not just learning how to teach math. They're learning how to recognize social skills deficits and work on that. And it's, it's asking a lot, but I don't, again, I think these are things that can be just embedded into how you're teaching and running your class. Well, it's overwhelming to think about, but in reality, when you actually put it in place, it actually makes your lives and jobs yeah. easier. That's hard to convince and people. It, it, it really is. <laughs> and, and I have to say in this um, particular instance, as someone who has been doing it for a very long time, in my mind, I probably would have praised the student for going out and then maybe having a different conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm trained. I've Mm -hmm. done it. I've worked with hundreds of these students. And you make mistakes and you learn from them and you see other people do things that you learned from and not everybody, you know, I, I always think that I'm very lucky to have had the training and Mm -hmm. the experience that I have 
to recognize how to approach things differently. And I take it for granted sometimes because it's just how I, how we have to operate. But when I see it not going that well, or people not using that, I mean, you know, nobody's ever going to tell you that screaming at a kid or telling a kid they did something wrong is probably, you know, I'm not saying there's never a time to have some more of a uh, discipline approach, but I think if we're trying to problem solve with kids and figure out how to make the best use of strategies and to really help them feel comfortable, you know, figuring things out with other people and, and kind of approaching teachers, approaching other staff and get, having those conversations where kids feel comfortable and feel like part of the community. We're going to have to broaden our thinking about what's acceptable and what is actually a problem versus like this could have been figured out differently. Well, that's where I think the restorative practices mm-hmm. uh, do really well. I, you know, if you had asked me this back when I got trained in this, I would have been like, oh, this was such a waste of time. But really, do you remember the, I know we've probably talked about it on this podcast, the behavior management through adventure, project adventure. It was out, it's in, it's out of Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. And it really helps teach generalized social skills. And it's really meant for any setting. It's not like just a specialized classroom. It, It really works on group dynamic, the group plan, mm-hmm. working together, owning mistakes together. It's really that growth, those, growth mindset. And as much as it is that it was a program that was taught, there are things through it that I think like coming up with collaborative games to play with your classroom, you know, silent ball and, um, what was the other one? Huckle buckle beanstalk. And like some of those activities, poppers. the poppers, right? Like you could probably find the games online without necessarily having to be trained in it. But it's, mm-hmm. it, the idea is, you know, not to make it seem like it's so simple, but I do think sometimes we overcomplicate. I think a lot of it comes down to being, making, uh, creating a relationship with your students to where they trust you and they know that you are somebody that values them. That enables you to have some of these conversations about things. So maybe if you are really aligned with some of these students, you can have a harder conversation about when they may be stretching the rules, when they may be, you know, having outbursts. There's a better communication process. I think when the whole group feels united, there's nothing cool in seeing a group of kids that all have their own stuff. I almost swore. <gasps> all of their own we stuff. We almost had to check the exclusive box <laughs> when we posted it. All of their all of their stuff going on. And they come together for each other because they are bound by feeling like a team. Sometimes I think that approach of saying like, this classroom is a team. We are pulling for each other. We are on each other's side. We are working together. What are our goals that we establish together? And working on feeling just like that unity. And then, you know, we talk about the social aspect of being on a team. So many of the things that I was just reading about being, you know, um, the social skills aspect is part of being on a team participating equally, encouraging, waiting patiently, clear communication, accepting differences, following direction. Like so much of that is part of being unified on a team. Well, and that's the part of it. You know, there's that game aspect of Project Avenger, but the the different circles that you could call mm-hmm. and given students yes, autonomy. And I remember, groups. oh my gosh, teacher. Ew, yeah, we'd be we calling groups. We still do groups. that. We still do and that. And I just remember teachers would be like, but they're just going to keep calling groups. And I'll never forget the first year we did it. <laughs> I had this kid in my class. <laughs> would call a group every five minutes and you know what he got it got old and Mm -hmm. other kids called him out on it and it it helped develop that team dynamic where students were able to encourage each other but also call each other out and nothing works better than peer-to-peer yes oh um understanding and having that call out because i'm as a an adult i'm just annoying but if it's (laughs) your peer doing it then who cares you're meant you're put on this planet to annoy me not to really yeah um and that's a really that's one of the pieces of that i I like that's really 
when you break it down is really easy to implement in a classroom setting is that team dynamic. Well, and in, you know, in a setting or any, I mean, I, you know, again, I've been far removed from gen ed for a long time, but when some, when a student has been disruptive or something is a conflict has occurred and it has affected more than just one other person, having them quote, we call it, call a group, um, and having them take ownership if they're ready and sometimes they, you can be their proxy mm-hmm. as the adult and you can speak for them but it's it's kind of owning that yes i my behavior created a situation where other people felt uncomfortable i'm ready to hear that feedback but i'm also ready to hear something positive too and i think it's you know people could look at that on its face and say well that's shameful making someone stand there and say sorry that i did this and everybody's like boo you know that's not mm-hmm. how that works Mm-mm. it's more about i'm owning it People see that it builds trust. It builds confidence that, hey, we're going to work this stuff out and and they're going to forgive me for this and they're going to point out some positive things about me. And we're again, this is a team and we've solved this and we're moving on. Um, and there's that restorative quality is so impactful. And again, I mean, classrooms of 20 and 25 could also do this. It's not just about smaller size. Right. Classrooms. And more often than not. People make assumptions about how students might. It's like that anticipatory anxiety. They're so worried about, you know, what the students might say to each other. And more often than not, I I would say every time that I called one of those type of groups or that someone did, kids were really like, I'm so proud of you for for Mm -hmm. saying like it was just such a different, you know, yes, that did make me uncomfortable, but you are owning it. And I'm so proud of you doing that. Like this is, you know, and it's like good stuff when you get some you know of the our more quirky brains will say like yeah i forgive you and like you know what you're a really good artist like they'll come up with something you know (laughs) like i really like how you draw anime you know and it is it's it's and there's something to you know sometimes we have to take those risks we we want our students to take risks in their learning we have to take risks as educators to allow students to kind of showcase something without always worrying i mean we'll deal with whatever happens maybe Mm -hmm. that's just that's why I, I know, but part of it is I think seeing some of the worst behavior you could possibly see. But I think it's like let's see what happens, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll solve it when it happens. We'll figure it out together. I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to just paint like Shangri La yeah. over here, but I think there's ways to work on these things that don't. I I know what it. I've experienced the feeling of one more thing. You want me to do one more thing, right? But it's but I always try to to convince people that certain things that we talk about executive functioning supports, we talk about social skills, we talk about life skills, we, you know, some of these things that you do, it may seem burdensome at first, but it becomes something. The idea is that it will create more independence. It will create a better flow, a better community that will, everybody will feel less anxious. That's the idea. And as time goes on, this actually helps relieve the burden rather than add to the burden. Yeah. The sense of community, I think is just a huge, it, it's, it's difficult at the beginning, but it's a really easy it's grab it. to to have a really um, safe and supportive classroom mm-hmm. for each other. And even if it's like working towards goal, I mean, I love it. Nothing more than a, a classroom wide goal, mm-hmm. a school wide goal. But like you could, you know, have your students working towards something as a team where they're working on these areas. You can highlight five or six areas or depending on what your kids can tolerate. But working on are we a team and like rewarding positive things you're seeing oh wow you really you helped that person by grabbing a material for them that they needed great i'm adding you know we call like the pom-pom to the bowl Mm -hmm. whatever it might be and like encouraging that behavior even some of your older kids who you think might think that's babyish you'd be surprised 
when they want to work towards earning something, what they're right. Exactly. <laughs> Why don't you put a pom pom in? That's like you're 14. What do you mean? Yeah. Put a pom pom in the bowl. <laughs> you're doing a great job. Yeah. Well, I know we don't have a ton of time, but we should probably hit on the nonverbal yes. aspect of social skills because that is arguably, and I think that is the more intensive student, mm-hmm. the student with more intensive social yes. skills deficits is those kids who can't read your body language, mm-hmm. read facial expressions and the challenges that, and it's such a hidden deficit, mm-hmm. I feel like, that you don't often, unless you're keen on it, you don't notice. So if these kids are in the general education... The hidden curriculum. The hidden curriculum. It is. It, yeah. Absolutely. Um, that I think it gets, it often gets missed, mm-hmm. those pieces of it. Well, how much misperception's happening because they misread your tone. I'll, I mean, kids will tell me, sometimes they'll be like, why were you yelling? And mm-hmm. I said, oh, so what you're telling me is you're used to my voice being a certain level. I raised it up a notch to get your attention. And now to you, that's yelling. You know, it seems ridiculous I, <laughs> to overthink all of this stuff, but that's what we have to do with those type of neurodivergent brains. Like mm-hmm. we have to over explain, over teach, explicit breakdown because they're not getting this through osmosis. Mm-mm. Other kids are going to pick these things up because they're, brains work differently. They're able to learn with experience. They're able to learn through, you know, just exposure to different things. And just, it's just how brains are evolving and how you evolve your social skills for kids that don't, the burden does lie on us to break that down more and not make assumptions about what they think. I mean, that can't tell you how many times a kid will, I'm like, that's what you thought I said. Oh, wow. All right. Let's, let's rewind and break this down again. Cause that's not what I meant. You know, all the idioms, I mean, shout out to my speech and language pathologist people. Yeah all the figurative language they work on so much of that and i you know i always know when they're working on certain units because you'll be talking about something in a classroom and a kid will just raise their hand and go that's sarcasm <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep, i know you. i know what you guys are working on um, <laughs> uh, are you being sarcastic yes, <laughs> yes probably I always um but that's what's so wonderful again about this collaborative team and it's about you know but but i think for i think those type of learners i think you do need probably a little more formula um sorry formal training maybe a little bit more to to broach these subjects it's also you can that's the stuff that gets missed in elementary school through Mm -hmm. no one's fault Mm -hmm. that should be explicitly taught when they're younger because kids are more engaged in learning that so teaching eye contact teaching tone of voice teaching Mm -hmm. how to um how do you ask questions when you feel like someone's tone or some mm-hmm. the way someone Clarifying. says something is yep. off clarifying yep. um to do that earlier on it, it, and it's something that's so easily missed through no one's fault mm-hmm. so less literal thinking mm-hmm. you know raleigh i feel like this is a topic that we really just need to continue on maybe with a speech pathologist this is just a big big, it's a topic. big topic and i think as more as we started talking we realized we could go on and on and on i know so, so we're gonna put a pin in it put a pin and then we'll, we'll get back. We're not going we'll to put a pin in it to pop it. We're going to put a pin in it to save it. We're going to put a pin in it to save it, but it's going to be after the IEP pin. Because mm-hmm. we get it. We're we gonna, didn't forget about you, Cameron. Yep, yeah, we got it. So, in an awkward transition, because <laughs> I need social skills. Because this is evidence of poor social skills. <laughs> um, I have a would you rather for you. Okay. And this, is, this one's really uh, tricky for me. All right. Oh, boy. <clears throat> Would you rather walk barefoot in a public restroom or get poisoned? Barefoot in a public restroom. Really? Mm-hmm. What if it's like just food poisoning for two days? No, no, I definitely would rather walk barefoot. Oh, I'm going to get poisoned. As long wow. as I don't die. Oh, yeah. Bare- I First of all, I hate walking barefoot. I know, but you could just wash your feet when you're done. Boo. 
you want to be doing Ooh. other things for two days? Uh, yes, for Oof, sure. No way. I, it's like, not even close for me. Mm-mm. Wow. Okay. Mm-mm. That's not even close for no, you. No, no, not even close. What if you have to? What if no, you? No, what if you, you couldn't can, wash your feet no, for two days? No. See, this is what you do. You change the criteria. <laughs> the criteria was: Do you walk into a public restroom barefoot or get poisoned? I just want to know how far you'll go into it, until go you turn ver- over. I, until you turn to no, team get poisoned. No, I will go very far with this. I will not choose to get poisoned over walking barefoot. What if you can never wash your feet no, again? No, I'm not. You still, no, you can't. You can't change the criteria. No, I. It, I mean, I, I would say, ch- what if you got poisoned and died? Would you change your mind? Yes, I would change my okay, mind. Okay, well, see? I would change my mind if I got poisoned to the point I'd have to go to the hospital. Okay, now, if it's well, just if it's just like again, a stomach bug for a couple days, I'm just so saying. you just can't. <laughs> oh, well, that was fun. Kind of like when you say to a kid, would you rather question? And they're like, neither. And it's like, no, you have to pick one. You have to. You have no choice. You have to <laughs> like, pick one. Like, obviously, we don't want to do either one, but we got to play the game. You got to pick the best of both. Yeah. Best out of the both. Anyway. All right. Well, that's us for today. Yeah. Social skills. Thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to follow us on all of our social medias at Unstuck Podcast One. I appreciate those who started following us. Yay. And uh, hopefully February break coming, we'll work on content for mm-hmm. for that. And I'll I'll try to find I tried to find a while ago um, something on the behavior management through adventure, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find like a good link. But I'll try to I'll try to look again. Also, stay tuned for maybe ADHD part two. Oh yes, very with exciting. our special guests. Special guests up in our special location. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right, thanks everyone for listening. Bye. Bye.